warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. It's Real Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies. Now, usually, I would say at this point, with just a hint of professionalism, Stephen, what just happened literally seconds ago? <laughs> we uh, we just recorded a blinding intro, which was hilarious. It was. And informative, <laughs> and it was just, you know, reminiscent of No Coward. But, um, unfortunately, somebody forgot to press the big red button to record yes um, now that would be um highly unprofessional mm. um, which is us so <laughs> we got about two and a half minutes into it and it was it was comedy gold mate it almost was <laughs> it, it was yeah <laughs> so we're even going to go down that route about what we were talking about because it won't have the same effect but needless to say today we are talking about <laughs> let's go into this it's bunny lake is missing from 1965 and just before i realized i hadn't pressed the record button i said to you it's a first time watch for you, Stephen, isn't it? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Um, and it is the first mm. time that I've, I've watched it in its entirety. Right. I, I caught it part of the way through. Um, I caught, um, ooh, about three or four months ago mm. on um, Talking Pictures TV. Of course, uh, where else? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was it was only shortly, um, short way into it, so I, I did capture the majority of it, but... Mm. Um, obviously not capturing the start, I think it, it, it sort of pales slightly. And I, I did, I did think, oh, I need to see this in its entirety. Yeah. Um, and um, kept an eye out for it again. And, and um, this is my opportunity to have, have watched it in its entirety again, which um, I was happy to do. So, so e- yes, first full time watch. Excellent. It's the second watch for me in sort of less than a year. Mm. Uh, I probably watched it last summer. I remember, if I remember rightly, and it was immediately it was one that I wanted to bring to you to talk about on Real Britannia. I must say, even though I enjoyed it on my first watch, my first watch I felt there was too much for me to take in. It was you you have to pay attention to this movie on your first watch. It was who was that? Why is she behaving that way? Is is it something to do with him or what are they do it was all these questions that it's a mark of a good movie, if truth be told, that you're sort of, you know, on the edge of your seat thinking what's going on. But this time around I think I relaxed with it a little more because I knew what was, you know, I was a bit more familiar with it. I enjoyed the performances a lot more this time round and it made it an altogether a movie for me this time round, I think. So you've had almost a same watch. So I'm assuming we're going to have similar sort of opinions and thoughts on this. Yeah, what you were saying there was entirely right. I think the first time I watched it, I didn't be pay the right attention to the performances because I was too busy trying to... Taking the um, the misdirection, yes, which is inherent in it, and and okay, we're quite used to films now that have misdirection in the you know the the, the way that they're telling the story, 
and the director is deliberately trying to do that. But this was there's a, a character in the um, film trying to misdirect each other. Yep. Um, and that sort of added into your, your complexity of you trying to work out what is truth here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was something that caught me the first time around um, and, and distracted me a bit from the acting and the performances and the actual cinematography. Yeah. The first time around. So this this second watch did make me uh, give, give me an opportunity to appreciate the, those other elements, um, just like yourself. Yeah. So we'll talk about that as we get to the review itself. Let's take a wee break. I'm hopefully going to find a trailer for this somewhere. If not, we'll have a little clip. We'll be back after this. Laurence Olivier, often acclaimed as the greatest living actor, returns to the screen after three triumphant years as star and director of the British National Theatre. Carol Lindley plays Bunny's mother. They arrived just a few days ago from America. This morning at nine, she took her four-year-old daughter to a nursery school. When she returned at noon to pick the child up, Bunny had mysteriously disappeared. During the next eight hours, the search for Bunny continues relentlessly. Everybody becomes a suspect. The German cook, played by Lucy Mannheim. The zombies. Time will show that I mean what I say. You'll see, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see. You wonder why you died in my Matita Hunt. Our love was meant to be. Anna Massey is the school teacher. Finley Curry, the kindly dull surgeon. Don't stand back and you will see just how easy it can be. But you stand Here you may remember from David and Lisa, place an American newspaper man. I just want to find one simple thing. One small, simple proof. Proof of what? That Bunny Lake exists. Well, perhaps I should have called the picture, Does Bunny Lake Really Exist? What is it, Duchess? You cold? Has that buttermilk flesh all frozen? Cold, my girl? Some would be honored, may I tell you that, by my touch. There are those in the BBC who bear like medals, bruises left by the love of Horatio Wilson. That, of course, was Noel Coward, who needs no introduction. He plays in the picture. No. No, I won't tell you the story, because I want you to join the search for Bunny Lake. And I want you to join it from the very beginning. Therefore, we have adopted an iron rule that nobody may be admitted to the theater after the picture has started. Of course, you may leave any time you want to, if you can tear yourself away. But you must come promptly at the beginning. So please, 
check the starting times in your theater and come on time. Thank you. It was released in the UK, 27th of February 1966. It was released in America the year before. Directed by the great Otto Preminger, of all people. Starring Kia DeLay, Carol Lindley, Laurence Olivier. Now, again, I, I, I say this every week, mate. When we go down this cast list, it is a little bit crazy of the names that are here. Because you've got Anna Massey, Martita Hunt, Finley Curry, Noel Coward's in there, Meg Jenkins, Richard Wattis is in there somewhere, I believe. There he is, yeah, Richard Wattis. Yeah, yeah. And the zombies, of all people, who are actually yes. listed in the cast as, as members of the cast, even though they only appear on a TV and on a radio. Briefest of synopsis actually says, let's have a little look. Anne Lake lodges a complaint of her four-year-old missing daughter. When the police investigate, they conclude that her daughter never existed and question Anne's sanity. That's a, that's a very brief summing up. It's, as we, we've said many, many times before, there's a lot more to this movie than what the synopsis lets on, mate. Yeah, absolutely there is. And it's, you know, to some extent it needs more than one watch. And I think... That that complexity and and that um, modernity to some extent was why when it was actually released originally it didn't get the reception that it that now has grown as its reputation. Because yeah. I think I think it maybe was was misunderstood or not digestible for you know the audiences of the time because it didn't do very well you know reception wise when it first was released. But now it's um, it's garnered a lot more acclaim, which is perfectly justified i think it's been re-examined hasn't it recently mm. and it's one of those movies that were sort of overlooked on its initial release and it's, it's garnered some sort of classic status now it's it's certainly for me doing a second watch it's it's jumped up in my estimations and if i do a third or a fourth watch i could i could see this becoming quite a favorite movie for me even though we know what the twist is at the end or how it all is resolved I don't think it suffers from multiple watches, this film, because there's so many layers to it and so many fine performances, which we will talk about individually, some of these characters that we meet along the way. And I, I just absolutely adored it this time round. I thought it was great. I, I, you know, I agree that it, it just um, improves with watches and um, that... Yeah, the the reappraisal was necessary. You know, I think I think it just was too modern at the time, in in a way. Um, and I mean, even just you know the, the opening credits. Well, uh, was, so was bad. More stylistic. <laughs> um, yeah, and and that you know he, he was known for that. I mean, a massive fan of it, of his work in many ways. Myself, from graphic design point of view. Yeah, I, I think that you know it's right that this has has gained a better reputation with reappraisal. And we can we can see so many elements in it um, that it just elevates it with with watches continually. So I'm absolutely agree- agreeing with everything you've said. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. From, from the opening credits onwards, like we say, it's it's Saul Bass who famously did a lot of the Hitchcock stuff, you know, Vertigo yeah. and North by Northwest. And then you've got this combined with this score. There's this refrain by Philip Glass. Not Philip Glass, is he? I was going to say Philip Glass. <laughs> Perhaps they're related. Who knows? It's Paul. Paul Glass. There we go. It started with a P. I got that right anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So you've got these titles combined with this refrain by Paul Glass. 
And, you know, that refrain continues throughout the movie at certain points. And we'll talk about the score as well, possibly, because there's one particular scene in a doll's hospital where the music is fitting, I think, is, is, is a way to describe it. And as I say, from the outset, you've got, oh, Preminger directing it. Yeah. And then you've got Laurence Olivier and Noel Coward before you even get to the supporting cast. And it makes me wonder why this hasn't been picked up on before. When you think, hang on a minute, you've got two of the greatest actors and playwrights and whatever of our generation or the generation before appearing in a movie that's directed by Otto Preminger, of all people. Again, might even question the fact that it's a British production having a, a Viennese director, but no, it's not. It's a totally British production. Well, it was written by John Mortimer. Who wrote... Was it Rumpole, wasn't he? Rumpole of the Burley, amongst yeah. other things. Yeah, which um, is obviously very British. But no, I, I, you know, it's fair enough questioning. Um, but I think that um, you know the original book wasn't set in um, London, it was set in New York, I think, ah, and it right. was it was deliberately moved to London and and re reworked in order to fit into London to make it more English. So I think in that way, it definitely you know allows us to to claim it. Yeah, and, and I think the character of the brother didn't exist in the book originally either, did he? I think he was introduced into this specifically. I think she was on her own in, in yeah. the original novel. For people that haven't seen the film, the basic premise is, despite what that synopsis says, there's a little bit more to it. Um, an American brother and sister have recently moved to London and it opens with the sister at a nursery dropping off her young daughter, Bunny, and then just going off to the new flat to you know set up the new home and things like that. But we never see the child. From no. from this point on, the, the child is not seen on screen. This is very crucial to the whole story because yeah. the story developed that the child goes missing from the nursery. Yeah. Or it's actually questioned that was the child actually there? There is no... We, we've got no physical evidence ourselves as a viewer to know yeah. that there is a child. Yeah, due to the recent move to the country, which is just days they've been in the country and luggage and, and belongings not catching up with them so various personal effects that could corroborate the existence of the child are, are absent um and yeah you know the the teachers aren't interacted with because she's you know she's running late she actually leaves them with a number another member of staff who yeah. subsequently goes missing themselves um, and it it you know it does drip feed this element of doubt um, into the, the the mind of the viewer, yes. um, as well as actually, you know, one of the the characters, the the police inspector, who kind of is us in a way, yes, um, to to question whether this is a, a delusion or whether it actually is a, a missing child case. And that is the good thing about this movie, because you say we we step into the shoes of Lawrence Olivier, who is the investigating officer. Oh, if only I could. If yeah. only. How fantastic. Late, later day Laurence Olivier, from the 60s onwards, from the entertainer onwards, say, I much prefer those performances than the earlier Shakespeare stuff and the Wuthering Heights and things like that. I think it's about this period in his career that he sort of lets himself loose a little bit. Yeah, I was just going to say exactly. You know, yeah. Said, this is where he stops... Taking himself too seriously, yeah, doesn't he? Not being, not being pretentious <laughs> as such, where, but where he stops seeing him, you know, the acting is purely sort of the classics. Yeah, um, and that he can embrace, um, and he can bring his his aplomb to um, something more modern and set in the you know this day and age, and without it being grubby 
or lowered yeah. himself. Yeah, I mean, to anybody else, that role would have provided. I think I think Kev mentioned this on his letterbox review. He said to any other actor, this would have been the role of their career. You know, playing this high-profile police chief investigating in a Preminger movie, blah, blah, blah. He just takes it so casually in his stride and just makes it look so easy. Because he's Lawrence Olivier, for God's sake, you know, he does. And as I say, from, from here onwards, he just has a bit of fun because he takes on roles like in Marathon Man and the boys from Brazil and Sleuth and all those things that, like you say, he doesn't have to take himself too seriously anymore. And I think it is a perfect vehicle for him I mean a lot of people could have played that role they could have played that police chief no problem at all I think you'd probably chuck in Alistair Sim or somebody like that wouldn't you playing that role make it a bit more yeah, of a you, yeah you could quite well have them I mean you know, there's a few other people um, you, you could have brought into it that that could have added a, a certain element of sort of that gravitas yeah. sort of thing that we, we could have done and there's, a, you know, there's people that we've um, had in various films of ours before that we've reviewed, but uh, like Jack Hawkins and stuff, he could have. That would have been a good uh, idea. He, yeah, he, he would have, you know, because he was that was one of the things he was known for, and yeah, end, just you know those kind of roles. But um, I think having it, having it, somebody of Larry, Sir Larry's uh, sort of stature, mm. I think his very pronounced Englishness did give a good juxtaposition to the Amer- you know the modern americanism um of the the two leads in that sense so i think that was you know it was a, a great choice and a great score to get him in yeah um along with having the the, the background figure of a different kind of englishness in uh, no coward yeah and, and what i like as well because you know Laurence Olivier is doubting the whole story pretty much from the outset you know because you can tell he's a, he's a seasoned veteran he's he's you know, been on the beat for 30 years and he's been a detective for X amount of years, whatever. He conveys this sense of disbelief without actually saying a great deal. You know, that that thing where, the, you know, the face can tell a thousand words or whatever, he does that perfectly here without having to resort to, no, I don't believe you. He doesn't ever say that at all throughout the movie. No, and it's it's and it's also inflections that he puts upon, mm. like, small little use of words. I'm like, okay, that's the script, but yeah. either way he inflects those words and, and, the, and, as you say, the look that he puts with them, where then there's a reaction to that, mm. um, and which is revealing information to him. So he's kind of fished... Uh, to to the, get a reaction yeah. out of the Stephen Lake Lake character, yeah. um, and that you know is is obviously a way of going about things as a detective. They don't know they're being questioned basically when they are being questioned. They don't know they're revealing things, and um, yeah, the 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 way he inhabits that role and, and gives gives it the gravitas and the the seasoned detective in that way, I think, is exactly what was what was needed. Yeah, he's yeah, a very so. intelligent man who's who's pretty much seen everything. He's, he's he's sussing things out instantly from the moment he appears on the screen. While we're talking about characters, let's stick with the British characters before we go to the two American leads. We've got to mention Noel Coward. Now, I mentioned Kevin from the Film Guff podcast briefly just a second ago. And when I put on Twitter that we're reviewing this today... Instantly, he replied back, fantastic movie. He said, I'm not sure if Noel Coward was actually drunk during this movie or was acting a very good drunk. I like to think he was probably doing the same thing as Laurence Olivier. Towards the end of his career, he's just having a bit of fun here because this character, I think, is possibly my favourite in the whole movie. 
I think you know it's hilarious when he's uh, got the policeman in his in his apartment and he's you know presenting the cane to them and offering them to have a go and and, and the whip saying that it was you know owned by Marky Desard and all this kind and he's of got thing. his skull there as well he reckons he's got yeah. the skull of the Marky Desard but he bought it at a flea market yeah. somewhere or a flea market <laughs> if, if it's to believe yeah and um, but yes he's you know and, and when he's um, been lascivious with um, the Carol uh, Linley character. Mm. Um, is you know, there's, she's worried over the, her missing daughter, and he's he's sort of crawling over her, yes. you know, metaphorically, yeah. um, and and obsessed with his own grandeur, um, yeah, which the, the, is a bit faded, obviously, <laughs> and and um, yeah, it, that it's, he's playing that just to the hilt for 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 the fun of it. You can tell he's enjoying every moment of it. Again, it's it's probably a character that was really unnecessary but do you know what given the chance with the you know the producer thinks you know ooh, John Mortman's written something in here for a, like you say a lascivious leching old landlord who's a, a the fading actor stage actor and voice actor uh, if only we could get an old coward and, oh yeah there you go <laughs> you know here he comes it's, it's it's a it's a director's dream isn't it you know to to have the grand dame of the stage there um in this it's not an important movie. It's not a major movie. It's, it's. I don't think it won many awards, if any. I don't think it got nominated for a great deal. But as I say, the pedigree behind this movie is absolutely incredible. Particularly with with Lawrence Olivia and Noel Coward, you basically just say these these are the lines, <laughs> and you leave them to it, and you think, well, what? No, I can't give them any direction or yeah, anything what that's I going to improve upon what they're going to do. And if they make any changes, I'm just going to keep them because they they're they know be what right. they're doing more than I do. <laughs> they will be um, right. Yeah. <laughs> even somebody of of, of Otto Preminger's uh, level of, of sort of renowned and I know he, he's got a, he had a reputation for being quite difficult to work with, apparently. But I imagine yeah. he, you know with those two, he probably was a bit you know easier on because he knew that you know. The, 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 talent he was dealing with um was at least equal to his if not more um more so but yeah absolutely it must have been a a, a dream to have those around on set and yeah. and those two interact did, didn't really have much interaction the two of them though did they i don't think they um, did he was he the coward was more interacting with carol lindley yeah and then the other policeman as well he yeah i don't think he i don't think there was really any any lengthy apart from maybe a couple of words and, and very brief there is a brief of, scene isn't there but, yeah no, a but, brief scene but which is a bit of a shame because you oh. think you know having those two um facing off you could have you know if you'd if you'd known in advance when you were writing it that there was going to be those two playing those parts you might have tried to create a bit more of a scene yeah. where they were actually having to interact because you could have could have gone cinema gold out of that as far as them two it's a bit like and you'll probably laugh at this um there's a later Charlie Chaplin movie uh, that he appears in briefly with Sid James. There's a scene. Oh yeah, the yeah. The, uh, the Countess King of, of York. Yeah, there's a yeah. very brief scene where Sid James and Charlie Chaplin are on screen together, like two of my favourite comedy actors, as you know. And it's just like, oh, just just even that ninety seconds is is pure cinema gold, as you say. So these two together, equally equally um, as as fantastic. I'm going to mention one more British actress again before we go into finer details of the plot or whatever. Uh, and it may lead us into the Hall of Fame. Martita Hunt. Yes. Who plays 
the owner. He's not a, not a member of Shakespeare's sister. <laughs> no, but despite what people may think, no. Um, nice to see her playing a role that's not a period piece. Normally she's some countess or a, you know, some old um, yes. yeah. grand dame or something, you know, with a big hat and a bustle. Now, as curator of the Hall of Fame, I think she may go in. This week, this is this is her third appearance, yeah. and uh, her previous two appearances were in exactly the roles you just described. Because <laughs> um, previously she was in uh, Wicked Lady, yes, which is very much a period piece, yeah, um, and also in um, the Admirable Crichton, where she plays like the grand dame of the family, the grand, grand dame, mm. absolutely, mm. yeah. So that yeah, absolutely is her third um, appearance, and I'll I'll um, I'll very I'll happy to have her because as a Sort of that character actress was um, just resplendent, really, uh, what she did. But she's uh, great in this, playing that. playing something a bit more modern. Yes. I, yeah. I, I, she's got this very bizarre sort of quirk to her. Again, it's another one because a, a bit like an Agatha Christie novel, you, when you're introduced to characters throughout this movie for the first time, you're, you're thinking, well, are they anything to do with this? Or what is their actual role in this? And throughout, you do have this sense of doubt with Martita Hunt. She's a little bit bonkers. I mean, she's stashed away in the attic. So. Yeah. <laughs> For a good reason. Listening, listening to her recordings of, of children over the years so she can write her, her grand work on the psychology of children's dreams or whatever it was, or fantasies or something like that. <laughs> children's fantasies and nightmares, yeah. Yeah. And you think, okay, okay, you're, you're not quite right there, my love. You know, so are you something to do with this? And you still think this towards the end. You still don't know if she's part of this plot or not. Um, but as you say, third appearance in Real Britannia for Martita. Give us the rest, mate. I, I bet there's a few right. more. There's, 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 there's another three, actually, that yep. have got their third appearance. I mean, uh, and one of them, you know, we've just been discussing, Noel Coward. Um, oh, so, because he was in uh, Brief Encounter and obviously his own work uh, in which we serve. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was director, producer on Brief Encounter, wasn't he? And in which we serve, which he appeared in. So, yeah, we'll count yeah. that as a third appearance. So, no? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we've got um, we've got as, as you briefly mentioned as well before. We've got um, Richard Wattis. Is that a third um, for him? Thank thank the Lord. I've been yeah, waiting for so him. So, which go which is is overdue. To yeah. Be fair. Um, he's one of those faces that cropped up in so many different um, bits of British cinema, particularly the the the, the evening comedies, the Centrinians, the carry-ons and stuff. He was, yeah. you know, he was resplendent in in all of those things, playing pretty much the same kind of role. A lot civil of the time. servant, he was, he was always. Civil <laughs> servants, doctors, um, you know, clerks. Yeah. Um, that that kind of thing that he, he so often played, and yeah. I mean, in this is a. He's a the clerk in the um, shipping office, isn't the, he? The shipping office, yeah. yeah. Um, but playing, you know, exactly to type. Probably best um, known as the neighbour of Eric Sykes in the Sykes TV series. Well, that was it. His letter career was very yeah. much linked to Sykes and, mm. and a lot. But um, previous to this, he was in uh, Doctor in the House and Lavender Hillmog. Right. So, okay. So that's uh, number so three for him. So yeah. So and he'll, I'm sure he'll be racking up um, more. Oh, again, very soon because he's he was in lots of things again. A bit like adults. Sam Kidd, I thought he would appear a lot earlier. Richard Wattis, yeah. Um, and another one which is um, surprising he hasn't actually got in there earlier was um, Victor Madden. Oh, I thought this was number four for Victor Madden, but it's number three, yeah, yeah. Um, surprisingly, yeah. 
Um, so he was in uh, Seven Days to Noon and, and Pool of London, surprisingly, not Ooh. any of the sort of comedy or hammer roles. I know yeah. he, was, he was in some carry-ons and, and, and some of the, the hammer stuff, but he um, this is, a, you know, surprisingly, he's come in via this route um, as a taxi driver. Uh, yeah, I think he was a soldier in Seven Days to Noon. Yeah. And I can't remember in the other one what he was. Probably... Oh, I don't know. can't remember. But yeah, Victor Madden, again, later career in the 70s, was always on the Dick Emery show. He was that sort of actor. He was he, he appeared on a lot of that. But he was in a couple of carry-ons as well, if I remember rightly. So Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think... think so, uh, but otherwise, yeah, there's there's several people that are making their second appearances, including Sir Larry and yeah. um, Lucy Mannheim, who I think was the um, the cook, the German, yes. German cook in this... Um, so uh, Megs Jenkins. Is that only uh, two you, for her? Because I yeah, thought she'd have appeared. Star. Yeah, I thought um, she'd have appeared so a lot earlier. She's appeared in a lot of lot of things. I'm surprised she wasn't in. in I was surprised myself. I was looking at her, yeah. rechecking, thinking, I'm sure that's not right. But yeah. it's Anne Lancaster, uh, John Sharp, Norman Mitchell, Tim Brinton, and Patrick Jordan, who are you know not not that familiar faces or anything. No. But they you know they did have reasonable careers. Some of them. But then not only second appearances, but the main ones, yes, absolutely. I mean, Matt Eaterhunt, absolutely getting in there, same with Noel Coward um, and Richard Wattis. You know, it's long before time for him and for, for Victor Madden. So that's, you know, that's us catching up a bit with the some of the people who should have got in before now, uh, which very, is very useful. Very successful so. week, yes. it's. Um, I don't deliberately set out, same as you, to find a movie that, will include, you know, potential inductees into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But to have a movie that brings four into it, that's that's a good strike yeah. rate, mate. Well, that's well, that's it, it is. <laughs> and, um, I'm sure, just, you were saying about um, Noel Cowden in which we serve. I'm, sh- I'm sure he actually, more than directed, he was actually acting in it. As he well, was in he? In Which We Serve. I don't think he was in Brief Encounter. It was Brief Encounter. Oh, Brief I think, Encounter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think he was only producer, director, writer. Well, only producer. Yes. <laughs> um, he didn't actually appear in it, but we're going to count that as a, as a third appearance for him. No problem at all. But yes, he was definitely in In Which We Serve as well as directing it. Uh, along with David Lean. Wasn't it a joint direction with David Lean, In Which We Serve? Uh, or yes, somebody. I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. So, no, Noel Coward certainly certainly fits the criteria for being inducted into the Hall of Fame, mate. Absolutely. Good, good, good. Um, I'm thinking Saul Bass might. We would have to have a look. I know we don't do too many sort of back, no, backroom boys, do we? But level. Yeah. If, if I'm, I'm sure this may be maybe a second appearance for Saul Bass somewhere along the line, but we'll have a little look on that one later and possibly, you know. John Mortimer might eventually make an appearance. I don't know what his screenwriting career was. Yeah, when we do Rumpole Barely the Movie. Yeah, not too sure. sure. Rumpole the Movie. Yeah. (laughs) Rumpole 2, The Revenge. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know um, what else there was from him. I know he... A renowned writer in, in a number of words, but yeah, we'll have to just see on that one whether there was whether he cops up again. I think yeah. he did more television stuff. Than exactly. Yeah, stuff I don't there. know what the, the screenwriting career of his actually run. Um, well, that's all the British, you know, British actors that we sort of covered here. Let's let's go on the two. The two main actors are American. It's Carol Lindley and Keir Delay, and Keir Delay, best known for two thousand one. Um, yeah, obviously about. Two, three, four years later, Carol Lindley. Ooh, I'd say she was probably better known from the Poseidon Adventure. She's the singer. 
and then yeah. sings the theme tune that was you know played throughout the movie. This time round, now because on the first time watch, you don't know how this is going to resolve and what the actual plot is going to develop into. The first time round watching these two, I was just a bit confused. Um, but on this second watch, knowing how it's going to sort of resolve, I think these two, this sounds a bit of a grand claim, but are up there with Laurence Olivier for the acting, especially Carol Lindley. The emotions and the the conveyance of the thoughts and the threats and the and the worry and everything that goes on is just incredible. She runs hot and cold throughout this movie and... It's not jarring. It's not an annoying performance. You know, sometimes when you get these distraught mothers and it's, oh, my God, all this, but it's not. It's a genuine performance from her. And Keir Delay, I think, creeped me out from the start this time think, around. Yeah, I think I think you're right on, on both those elements in that, you know, when I first caught it, and obviously it wasn't a full watch, um, but uh, Carol Lindley, I think I... I missed the the quality of her performance mm. because I was too distracted by what you know what else was going on and you know underestimated or underappreciated her. Yeah. But the 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 fact is that the the she does convey a lot of subtlety in there that's easy to miss, and she does actually not do this in a stereotypical way, which yes. which would be the hysteria. Yeah. And um, and I think that you know there's um, massive plaudits to be applied to her. Um, for this, and, and you're right about Keir Delay, who um, I know he wasn't very well thought of by um, Noel Coward um, oh, on the set. Okay. Um, yeah, apparently, apparently there's an anecdote where he went over to him and said, uh, "Keir Delay gone tomorrow," um, because <laughs> his, uh, his, his dismissive um, element of his um, his his acting. Oh, uh, that is typical Noel Coward. That's brilliant. So, uh, that is, but. Um, you know, there's that element, but um, I think, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a there's a look in his eye through mm. most of this, which is that sort of unhinged element, which we can see. Which how much of that is picked up by the other the other characters, particularly uh, the um, Lawrence Olivier. I was going to say, perhaps that's uh, why Lawrence Olivier doubts the whole thing from the start yeah. or focuses yeah. attention on him because there is, like you say, it's that unspoken sense of unease you get with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's also, you know, particularly when you're you're watching it the second time round, you you're seeing what you might, you know, it's easy to miss the the first time round or misread the first time round. But there's this incestuous obsession. Yes, controlling. Um, yeah. yeah, which kind of you know it is part of the 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 way that the, it should be in in the plot. But it's very much it's very much easy to miss. It, um, in your first watch, until until you get further into it, and you realise what you you know what you're looking at, and I think that is is performed incredibly well, and and it's been directed well in it as well. But this is where where I, I think his performance does really shine, um, playing that just it's just under the surface the madness all the time, just un, just under the surface, ready to to crack out, and obviously teased out a little bit by Sir Larry's character, but. It's it's there, and um, I'm glad we you know that he, he managed to convey that subtlety and that on the edge element without it being like one of these um, sudden outbursts and stuff all the time. You know, yeah. like 
you get somebody might do over some, I don't know, some wire coat hangers or something. Other. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's it's very subtle. I mean, are we going to make the decision here not to spoil this movie? Um, I think if we can get away with not spoiling it, it would, yeah. be, easy, it would be better. I mean, it's obviously a so it does does limit what we can say about some of the elements. Um, Leading up film. to the leading up to the finale, basically, we can yeah. get up to there. But I mean, to be honest, then what I'd, the, the other bit I'd like to talk about is the scene in the doll hospital, and then I we was talk, just going to say yeah, we need to mention the doll hospital. Uh, yeah, and then we yeah. leave it at that because I think from then on it starts to resolve the story. You know, we start getting a bit of an insight into what is actually going on. But this whole five or six minute sequence. Um, basically what, what's happened is Carol Lindley is trying to prove that Bunny actually exists because people are doubting her all over the place and she remembers that she took the doll to the doll hospital, is that right? I remember that she, she, had a... she, she dis- yeah, she discovers the, the ticket yeah. in her purse um, and that she goes, oh I've forgotten all about that, that yeah, and that will prove dolls. that Bunny existed because why would I have yeah. a doll, why would I take yeah. it to the what a quaint idea, the doll hospital. I remember there was a series of books as a kid set in a doll's hospital where they all came to life, if I remember rightly. That well, shot, apparently it was a doll museum yeah. in real life that they, they sort of repurposed for the film. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure, sure, you know, somebody could send me a photo of where it was. Um, Do you want to tell the listener? Walk, Do you want to tell the listener about it? Lo- <laughs> around London, yeah, because I've had, I've had the recent experience of, 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 a, bit of a, a Bunny Lake um, cinematic tour where somebody was sending oh. me fo- photos from different locations. I just happened to be, it was so funny, this was um day before yesterday, wasn't it? It was Friday. Yeah. Um, I was in Maida Vale, up that sort of part of London, and I knew that at the end of this road that I was at is, is the pub that Laurence Olivier takes Carol Lindley into and buys her a drink and tries to get to the bottom of the whole thing and the zombies are playing on the TV screen. And I thought, Do you know what, photo op. So I sent you a photo and I said, by pure coincidence, I'm outside the pub that Laurence Olivier went in, but I said, but unluckily I'm working, so I can't have a drink. So I jump on the tube, <laughs> and I ended up at Piccadilly Circus, because I can walk from Piccadilly Circus through Leicester Square to where I work, which is just off Trafalgar Square. And as I got off at Piccadilly Circus, I thought, do you know what? Literally at the top of this this junction here is the, the porno cinema from American Werewolf in London, which is actually the Gap now. It's a shop. Um but there was scaffolding there. So I sent you a photo of the pub. And yeah. then, then I sent you a photo of the scaffolding. So all behind there is blah, blah, blah. And literally, as I got to my work, I thought, oh, hang on a minute. This is where Keir Delay makes the phone call at Trafalgar Square. So, oh, sorry, I'll take a photo for the phone booth for you. So, <laughs> so you was getting like this guided tour, wasn't you? With like every, oh, every 10 was, minutes. Yeah, and I, and I said it might, it might not catch on as a tourist attraction, but I appreciated it. And, and you gave me a tagline for the, uh, for the, the advertising slogan yeah. for, oh, the, for the thing, which, didn't you? Which was, um, hold, hold on to your kids. <laughs> hold, holding on to your kids, yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. Um, but yeah, it, again, we, we've had this chat before about you know i look at london locations particularly because i work in central london the trafalgar square has cropped up in everything from yield to the night to oh i don't know we've we've, we've said it's been in about three or four movies isn't it? yeah it's in the hall of fame yeah yeah, as a location um and and that phone box that kia delay makes the phone call from is on the corner of my building where i work and it's changed because it's all pedestrianized there now um so it's fascinating to see that you know the, the cars would 
actually drive past that phone box. Well, they can't now. You know, it's quite a um, sort of benches and, and trees and things there. And I, I love looking at things like that, you know, and pointing it out. And Dom had a little chat with us on Twitter as well that the actual flats, you know, the Muse flats where they live, where Noel Coward, you know, has his, you know, the landlord and, and they move into, that is off of Trafalgar Square, or it was, and it was demolished four, oh, right. years, four years after this movie was made because it's very, very strange to see sort of residential property around that area. As much as you know London, you're fully aware that that's all yeah. offices and shops and things like that. And it is, it's, it's, a, it's a turning just before sort of Admiralty Arch uh, next to a pub, I think, called the Trafalgar. And it's now something to do with, like, there's a British consular or some sort of foreign office building there that was built in 1969. And it's a big concrete monstrosity, actually, you know. But that whole muse thing, you know, where they they drive through and it's like a cobbled street and they go under the arch and all this lot. I think it was called yeah. Carson's Muse or something like that. And we found some photos online and I sent them back to Don because he loves that sort of thing. He's, he's sort of fascinated with the history of Soho. And it, it's just one of my things that, you know, it's like... Well, I know that road exists, but it doesn't look like that now. So I had to do a little bit of investigating. Yeah, there was a thing on on social media, an account I was following, I can't remember which site it was on, Mm. where there was somebody who was going around taking, um, they had a a still photo, black and white photo, say, a still photo of a a scene from a film, like in a street or, or whatever, or a cafe. And they take a photo of their hand outstretched holding that sort of over yes, where yeah, the modern day so thing. Mm. over where the modern day was and um obviously a lot of that was in um was in new york but there was bits in london and, and paris and stuff as well but you doing your own version of taking these, <laughs> these pictures of, of things is it is you know for me because uh, i'm that way out mm. um it's fascinating for me to sit you know i could quite you know make a, a hobby out of you know, going to every pub in London that's featured in a movie. You know, I'd quite funny, happily funny do that. <laughs> but there's a there's a great site online called Real Real Streets, R E L, funny enough, Real Streets. And they do that similar sort of thing. They 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 take a still from the movie and then somebody would contribute a modern day picture. You know, that you can contribute yourself if you wanted to. Pick a movie oh, right, yeah. and, and go and find the locations. And it doesn't necessarily have to be London. So for yourself, if anything was filmed in York or the surrounding areas and you can say, right, well this is the shot in the movie, this is how it looks now. Because you don't always get that particular view on Google Street View or whatever it may be. No. And it's fascinating to see because especially in London when we're looking at some of these 50s movies that we've said this before didn't we about Paul of London that you know the bomb damage the bomb sites and things like that that are now replaced with modern office buildings or yeah. you see some of these back streets these terraced roads that are now knocked down and, and turned into council estates or whatever it may be uh, and, and Real Streets really does capture that well and I, I recommend that to anybody if, especially if it's say it's something or an area that you're familiar with and you think, oh wow, what did you know? I I know that particular, like I say, this particular phone box is still there. It's just the road has changed. Absolutely fascinating, mate. Yeah, it is. It's and you know, obviously, some people that's just tedium and not. But <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for for us, it you know, and, and the number people. of people <laughs> like us, it, it is absolutely beguiling and and is a, a rabbit warren to be going yeah. as far as and and when you've got it on your doorstep literally mm. um absolutely it's even more so something for you to 
suddenly realised, well, hang on, I've been walking past that phone box for for years now, and I've just realised... <laughs> where I've seen it before. Where, where yeah. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, yeah it happens yeah. all the time. I mean, but possibly most street corners in in the vicinity where I work have been filmed at some point. You know, I've got Covent Garden behind me, so I could do anything from Hitchcock's Frenzy was all filmed around that area, you know. Trafalgar Square appears in a thousand movies. It's, it's just fascinating, as I say, and, and sometimes you, you take it for granted. You walk past these places and not realise what they are. So, uh, in summary, sir, this movie, second time watch. I mean, for me... As I say, the second time watch for me was a lot more, I was, I was going to say enjoyable. It's, it's, it's also, I, I don't know, I think I appreciated it more on, on the second watch. And, and on that first watch on Letterboxd, I gave it four stars. And I'm sort of struggling at the moment between a four and a five. Carol Lindley was not annoying this time around. I found her quite annoying on my first watch. This time, I think I appreciated the reason why she was acting the way she was. And, and the layers to her performance are, are more evident on the second watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that the first time round, you don't appreciate some of the subtleties of her, of her performance, but also some of the th- bits where she is putting a stronger presence in or, or stronger emotion into her role or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, initially, that could have been seen wrongly um, rather than you realising the what's be what's behind it sort of yes. thing and it's yeah. understanding the character as well i mean their background as as a brother and sister and their you know parentage and all this kind of stuff so i think it's it's easier to understand her performance second time round yeah and appreciate it second time round better and similarly um second time round i found myself really not liking the Keir delay character at all which is possibly an indication of how good his performance actually is. We've said this before, yeah. isn't it? If you hate a character, they must be doing something right. They must be acting their socks off to do it. But for me, as I said before, the two standout performances got to be Laurence Olivier. As I said, it's like a walk in the park for that man, this role. You know, there's, there's, there's no, no sense of him struggling with this role whatsoever. Um, his conveyance of sort of doubt and disbelief is really something special, as I said before. Uh, and any other actor, you'd probably be overlooked. But with him, he just makes it look so easy. My favourite performance, I, I will stand by Noel Coward again on this one. Um, I, I just think he's having a lot of fun here. And he probably was drunk. Who knows? I really don't know. I'd like to think he was, actually. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> does it matter? You know, it, it, yes, it's it's nice if he was, sort of thing, for our own um, amusement. But... If, if he was or if he wasn't, whichever way around it was, I mean, you know, the the performance was there. Yeah. Um, in 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 its in you know, he's he's got nothing greatness. to prove. He's got nothing so, to prove, has he, at this stage exactly, in his career? Yeah. And that's why um, you know he took on Mr. Bridger in the Italian job a couple of years yes. after this and things like that. You know, he's just having a bit of fun. He knows he's not going to be around forever. Oh, let's just take on these roles. You know, same as I said with Olivier in Marathon Man, Boys from Brazil, as you know, towards the end of his career. I think I found a lot more in this this viewing than the original one. A lot more yes. to like. Not that I didn't like it on my first viewing. I did. I gave it four stars. So I'm going to say, with my rating system on Letterbox, it's a solid four out of five. But I really do think that if I was to watch it again in six months' time, it's a five-star movie. I really do think this is going to be up there for me as one of my favourites. I'm going to hand over to you because your rating system... Which, yeah, which I love. Yeah, I love the way you, you, you do this. 
because it's <laughs> weird. No, um, no, it's, it's so, just. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not one necessarily that people have to catch at the cinema, and and but I think it's one that that a lot of people should go out of their way to see and and try to overcome maybe their reservations about. Um, you know, a, a, a thriller or a, a mystery piece in black and white from the 60s, because some people you start describing it in those terms and just go, oh, I'm going to go anywhere near that. Yeah. But um, I think people need, you know, overcoming that and giving this a chance. And it, it feels a shorter film than it actually is. Mm. It's, it's something else. I don't know if that was just me, but um, it, it doesn't feel the length of film, which it is, which is, you know, it's a, an hour and three quarters. Sort it of is, thing. yeah. It, it feel, yeah. feels more like an hour and 20 there's a lot packed in without it being constant action like you get in some films. You know, it's not a Michael Bay film where it's action, action, action. <laughs> but there's a lot packed in, in here, but without it being sort of an overwhelming element. Um, and the way it unfolds, the way that, you know, it, which is in the performances um, as well as the script, um, that's, you know, not to underestimate the cinematography in this as well because I think there's some, some great ways that they've shot certain bits to make it a little bits of a bit more creepy or to give you more question over what is true and what isn't in that sense and i think this this is a film that could quite easily not inspire people the first time around but a second watch yeah um it's it actually adds to it so i think it's one that people you know need to go out their way to see in in the main um and you know it's fine on a television screen to do so but crops up every so often on Talking Pictures TV, mm-hmm. make a point of, of seeking it out because yes. it's, it's well worth your time to in, enjoy something that was to some extent ahead of its time. Really. Well, with, without giving away the ending, I just want to say that final 10 minutes rivals any modern-day psychological drama for the sense of unease that you get watching it because you don't know where it's going to go. You really yeah. don't. And that's why I think maybe it, it was looked at for um, a, a sort of remake, but it, it yeah, remake never got off the ground. Reese Witherspoon or somebody optioned it, didn't yes. she, about 10 years ago? I hope they don't make it because they'll completely change every single aspect of it. I know they will. It will just be some modern-day American yeah, drama of a missing kid. Part of me was thinking if they, do, if they did do it, would I prefer them to try and keep to the original film with having it in a London setting mm. with an American coming over and stuff or would I prefer them to transpose it back to the book and have it in yeah. New York so it, it wasn't actually trying to remake this this film that might be preferable and I, and I, yeah. and I wasn't sure which one I'd prefer them to do yeah. to be fair yeah. so, um, but yes absolutely you know fabulous performances all the way through um, great direction and, and cinematography and um, the script um, from from Rumpel or for, uh, <laughs> yeah, Rumpel from, himself. Yeah. I think there's, uh, you know, I think this has a lot to it to appreciate, and it maybe just has a little bit too much to appreciate fully in one one viewing. Yeah, it needs it needs the second one, and people should go out the way for it. There we go. Bunny Lake is missing. Watch it. That's all we can say. Just watch yeah. it. <laughs> Let's take Stick a break. Stick it in your eyeballs. Stick it in your eyeballs. Let's take a break. We'll be back. It's your choice, isn't it, for what we're watching next time? So, Stephen, next time on Real Britannia will be your choice of movie. 
And as you know, I, I love this part of the show. As much as I love talking to you for three quarters of an hour, mate, I like this even more, this bit, because <laughs> I, I don't know what you're going to bring to the table. It, it could be something from 1930. It could be something from 2019. As long as it's British and you think I'm going to enjoy it, this is this is my favourite part. Go on, mate. What we got next time? Right. So, well, I'm going to be a bit more cryptic in my description here. <laughs> okay. um, of it. Um, four Yorkshiremen bumble, bicker, and ultimately have a blast in a comedy of error, terror, and rubber dinghy rapids. <gasps> I haven't seen it. I know what it is. is it? Uh, no, I haven't. And everybody has Great. a go at me for not seeing it. It's Four Lions, isn't it? It is. Oh, yes. Right. Four Lions. So this was, um, it, it, although, you know, <laughs> could, could have been... Uh, a, could have been a, a different thing in, entirely. Obviously, it could have been the uh, the last of the summer wine. I was just about movie, to say but, it um, sounded like a last of the summer wine plot. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I thought this was um, a, a change of flavour. Yeah. To, uh, um, to Bunny Lake. Definitely. Um, you know, a film from two thousand and ten. Um, Brilliant! You're bringing it up to date, and it's it's something. So, I haven't seen, and as I say, people always, you know, when I say I haven't seen that, the, the same reaction is, you, really? Why haven't you, why haven't you seen it? Well, just haven't got <laughs> round you, to it. I yeah. dare you not have seen it, yeah. <laughs> just um, haven't got round to so it. <laughs> I, so, yes, I think that you'll, you'll have, you'll have plenty to say about this, I think. Um, I think it will generate uh, enough conversations. So, Looking um, forward to it. It's one that I, I enjoy, so... I'm hoping you will as well, but if not, then at least you'll have something to say about it. And again, sure. the North-South divide rears its ugly head again. There's you picking a movie about Yorkshireman. Oh, I'm I mean... trying to count here, but you've got a lot more, <laughs> lot more in your armory than I have up here. But um... Strange how this works out, mate, isn't it? Yeah. Stephen, it has been absolutely wonderful talking to you as usual, my friend. Thank you for being here today. It's been my pleasure. I will see you next time. Cheers. Take care. Absolute shah. A positive shah. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.